Hi, welcome to SF Live, episode 245. I'm James Sykes, CEO, President, Director of Baseload Energy Corp. We recently put out some excellent news today, and I'm here to talk about that, plus the baseload plans for the remainder of 2022 and looking beyond. I must also note that SOAR Financial Partners and Kai Hoffman have no conflicts of interest and are not receiving any financial contributions for this program. So taking it away is our ever-clever host, Mr. Kai Hoffman. Fantastic. James, fantastic intro. Much appreciated. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us this morning. Um, we, we recently chatted on another company, but it's great to have you on now with Baseload. And... Um, in the uranium space, I think that's a really widely debated topic right now is uranium. Uh, I think that's quite topical to have this conversation. Prices have been up, but the stocks and overall have been extremely volatile. Um, I, I think I want to start there because I named the, uh, the video Uranium Yay or Nay. And uh, I want to see a bit more, get some more insights actually into the uranium market. You're the CEO of a uranium company. Uh, give us a bit of like the insights you're seeing and to what are you paying attention to? Yeah, it's uh, it's a great market. I love the uranium space. I'm a nuclear bull, so I am definitely very biased towards nuclear energy and uranium exploration. I think it's the path forward. Don't get me wrong. I love the idea of renewables. I just don't think they're they're good for baseload power everywhere across the globe. I think we do need nuclear in our mix, and we're seeing a change in sentiment, not just in global attitudes, but also in the I, I guess the everyday the everyday person. They are now becoming aware that nuclear energy is a sustainable baseload power source. So in the market space, we've been in the doldrums for quite a number of years. Uh, just after after the Fukushima incident in Japan, the, uh, the supply and demand really weren't there. Uh, demand, demand really cut back. And so therefore supply also did a lot of operations curtailed. But we're seeing a resurgence. We are seeing more nuclear builds out, especially being led by China India and other places. And then we've got the idea of small modular reactors, which would hopefully be coming online within the next five to 10 years and making a huge reality in that situation. All of that increases your demand. And since the supply has been curtailed for X amount of years now, uh, those mines have to come back. But even then, there's not enough capacity to, to really meet everything. So we're going to need new mine life as some of these older mines are doing out. One, one company that I really pay attention to mostly is Cameco Corp, uh, right here in Saskatchewan, Canada as well. They're one of the biggest producers in the entire world. And they just recently announced that they're going to be bringing back their MacArthur River project, that they're going to dual mine MacArthur River and Cigar Lake. So to me, that indicates that they, they probably have contracts. They have a good reason to do that instead of leaving it on care and maintenance. So they probably have contracts that are, that are coming in place and people people need that supply now. It's getting there. Yeah, absolutely. We, we, we do see it. Kazakhstan is the main supplier of uranium, obviously. But uh, as a CEO of uranium, like how have the conversations changed? Are you getting different kind of inbound calls? Um, I just want to see like what, what you're seeing directly as an industry insider. Of course, I can see what's happening on a macro level. I see where uranium is supposed to come from. But like, let's really hold it down on the micro. It's like, are you getting different calls? Like, are traders calling you? Trafigura, the Glencores of the world, are they giving you calls? Say, hey, James, we need some uranium. What, what is happening? When are you guys going live? Unfortunately, not yet. As we are still a new company, we listed in 2020, June of 2020. And we're an exploration company, so we're not in the production stage. Uh, not yet, anyway. Hopefully that's down the road. But 
we'll assess as we get there. So our main goal is to discover uranium deposits that can be economic and hopefully move forward and, and do meet the, the current uh, the current supply run. So that's that's our big push. Wow. Are we hearing from any of the big guys, big guys or anodes, chemicals, Rio Tintos, anybody like that? No, unfortunately not. We don't, we don't have a resource yet. We have a discovery that we can hope turn into a resource and because we hope that the economics are of high um, or very lucrative, that this could be something that could turn into a world-class deposit. Let's, uh, let's catch us up on baseload real quick. We, we sort of jumped the gun here a little bit talking uranium, but uh, give, it, give me the 30-second cliff note version of uh, baseload energy, and then we can dive a little deeper into cap structure projects, plans for this year, and, and things like that. Fully funded, $20 million in the bank. We've got three excellent projects that are all based on a uh, exploration model that we developed called Athabasca 2.0. Now, to be very honest, exploring outside of the Athabasca sandstone is not a new concept. It was one of the original concepts back in the day when Uranium City was being mined, but we have taken it to the forefront and extend, extended the reaches of where we think that uranium, exp uranium deposits could be formed. And that's been our mantra going forward is that Athabasca 2.0 or near surface open pitable style of high-grade uranium deposits, things that could be economic instead of going deep underground with sandstone, with overlying sandstone and water infiltration issues. Fantastic, okay. Um, front cap structure, I always like, as a, like I keep saying that, um, but uh, put a, you know, get a common understanding of where the company is at right now. You said you're fully financed it. Uh, for, for your plans, like run us, give us an update on the cash position and then run us quickly through the cap structure. Okay, as mentioned, we've got 20 million in the bank. About half of that is in flow through dollars that we need to spend this year. So you can tell right away that $10 million expended on exploration is a pretty large number. And it's going to mean a lot of good news for, for baseload coming down the road. But we've also got 10 million in hard dollars. So we just, we did a raise the end of last year. Uh, about $10 million hard dollars. And that puts us in a very nice situation that we don't have to, we don't, we don't have a time commitment on when we need to spend everything. We'd like to spend about 16 million this year, uh, keeping some of that hard dollars in the back end. One never knows what happens in this industry since it's nuclear energy and people flip flop right away, which as far as the share structure side of things, we've got about 80 million shares and 80 million shares outstanding, about 30 million, sorry, 30 million options and warrants, so 110 million uh, fully diluted. Very tightly held, about 17% held by insiders, 50% uh, held by institutions, and about 33% held by retail. Now, the thing with the, the options, or sorry, the warrants, is we've got about 25 million warrants, all at an average strike price of between 60 to 70, 60 and 70 cents. Got about eight million warrants that will be coming off this year. Fantastic. All right. Um, fifty. Like I have noted here, fifty percent is institutional and funds. Is there anybody that sticks out that you can name, uh, or is it just a, a what was it called? Like I call it the shotgun approach. Like it's just a bunch of little pellets uh, that are just uh, in one cartridge. Yeah, we we do. I'd say it is that shotgun approach that we do have a lot of. We have a lot of institutional backing, and it is spread out quite a bit. This recent placement that we did with. PI Financial. Uh, they brought in Canaccord, Red Cloud again, and and yeah, we, we've got Dundee and Sprott and a number of other institutions who have continuously 
come into our financing since 2020. So there is no one major uh, institution who's, who's got a large position in Baselord. It's a lot of, a lot of institutions spread across the board. Fair, fair enough. And I have to ask like QC Copper and Gold uh, is one of your like sister companies in, in the, in the ore group. Uh, they own 14%. Do we have to be worried about them selling into the market or is like, what, what's their plan? What's their intentions? Can you give us a quick update on that and what the, what the motivation of the, the company is there? Yeah, and I, I think that was actually answered in the news release last year, really, when QC Copper, they used to have a larger position and they sold about 7 million shares. So uh, was it roughly just, just less than 50% of their total holdings. And they, they sold it off to other institutions at a very nice price. And basically what that was able to do was generate a lot of income for QC Copper, but also put these shares into hands of of institutions that were long-term holders of the company. So as far as the remaining 17%, we think that it's the, the same strategies, basically, that QC Copper is going to be a long-term holder of the company. They have no intention of moving unless the, unless the price is right, obviously. And so, uh, you know, no one can fault QC Copper for doing that if they, they got in at 10 cents, 5 cents. And if the share price goes up to two bucks, obviously you'd expect a company to make some profit. You know, it's, it's the name of the game. It's why we're all in this. So, but hopefully they would be able to do the same thing and, and put it into hands of long-term holders who would want to see even higher prices. Yeah, I think that the interest and strategies are aligned there as well. So I think that yes. that makes sense. Um, you mentioned cash position. Just just remind me real quick. Yep, twenty million in the bank, about ten million flow through, and ten million hard. Yeah, okay, amazing. Um, Trying to catch, try to segue now to the expiration side. Ten million in flow through means you, you have to spend that money actually by the end of this year. Correct. Um, so that means you have to explore quite aggressively. You, uh, I want to start talking about the project first, though, before we start talking tool plans, because we need to understand what you're actually exploring. Um, run us a bit. Give us give us the highlights of the project and uh, what the plan is for this year. Accio is our flagship right now. It's taking all of our attention. It's basically why we've got twenty million in the bank. It's, uh, it was a new uranium discovery following the Athabasca 2.0 strategy on a project that you know, a lot of people had written off historically. And you can tell that just based on the amount of work that was done on it in previous years, which we look at things differently. We're outside the box thinkers. We staked it back in 2020 based on the, the potential that we saw in, in the airborne geophysical and regional structures. We thought that the rate fluids could be moving through here. Lo and behold, there's a uranium discovery. Last year, we... We just, we've made our discovery drills, four drills into the system. Three of them had intersected uranium. Two of those intersected high-grade uranium. Uh, I guess our, our biggest intercept was 15 and a half meters over 0.13, with 0.13 weight percent uranium. So very encouraging stuff indeed. And this year is, yeah, we've got 10 million to spend. We want to put all of that into Accio plus a little, plus a little bit more. Uh, the intention is to really pound out Accio hard because we are seeing high grade. We're seeing a huge plumbing system. We see a lot of strike length opportunity to it, and it's near surface. It's it's everything that we thought Athabasca 2.0 should and could be. So we want to make sure that we drill this off properly. We are aiming for a an, an initial NI43101 resource by the end, starting by the end of the year. Who knows if we'll actually get there or not? Depends on the amount of drilling. Depends on the grades, the intercepts which we remain confident and comfortable that that is something we will see by the end of the year and starting working towards that. Okay, fantastic. Um, 
and now I'm torn because I wanted to ask you what, what is high grade uranium, and uh, you you mentioned it that you hit high grade uranium, but uh, for for me it's like I'm I'm not a sophisticated uranium investor. I feel really comfortable gold, silver, copper. Like I sort of know okay, ten grams over ten meters of gold. That's that's fairly high grade, right? But uh, in uranium, uh, for example, you put out a news release this morning, 0.1 meter of 25,000 CPS. Can you explain and shed some light on that? Like as a common investor, as a retail investor, how would I understand this press release and what do I compare it to? Yeah, I'm actually very glad that you answered that. There's a number of ways, like there is no industry standard for what high grade uranium is. If you take all of the deposits globally, the average grade is about 0.1% U308. So we consider that, you know, if, if the Athabasca is, Athabasca is known for high grade, it's just everywhere, everywhere you go, it's, it's high grade uranium. So we just basically bumped up the, the average global grade by five times and said, okay, well, 0.5 is, is a good comfortable number. But that's not just a, a loose number. There's also a solid reasoning behind it. And you consider that you take the average grades of the Eagle Point mine in the Athabasca, um, Raven Horseshoe, as well as... Oh, why is that name? Oh, pea patch, pea patch, which are all uh, pretty solid uranium discoveries in the basement host of rocks. Those three put together have an average grade of 0.5% U308. And if we're exploring for basement host deposits, then we'll follow those grades. However, on the converse side, you can also take a Griffin deposit, Aero deposit, PLS deposit, and Millennium, and average all those out, and you're going to get over 2% average grade as, as a basement host deposit. So it's it is. It, it's it's a weird number. We're comfortable just saying half a percent U three hundred eight is is high grade uranium. You now, if people need to hear one percent, then that's to each and everyone's own. But we think we've got a good justification for it, as Athabasca is higher grade than the rest of the world. So, and how do how do your counts per second, your radioactivity levels, really really match up with uranium or U three hundred eight values? That's uh, another good question because there are a lot of different instruments which would give you different counts per second readings based on the crystal volume. So 10,000 counts from one. Don't, don't from, overcomplicate it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, we'll keep it simple for, for our internal use then. Uh, typically, we say we like to say that anything with 10,000 counts per second is greater than 1%. But once you start getting above that, then you really get into a, um, an ex exponential curve that the more radioactivity you see, the, the higher the grades you see. We can't quantify how much uranium would be in 25,000 counts per second, which we're very happy to see that as that is a considerably high number based on, based on my career. Uh, but a lot of the other things that we're seeing you know, with these greater than 1,000 counts, average, um, average intercepts are quite encouraging. So we're going to have a video coming out on Wednesday, which will do a very good job of explaining, uh, explaining some of the radioactivity results in comparison to grades that we have on Accio already. Yeah. Now, feel free to put the link uh, in the description or in the comments as well. Once you have it, just just post a comment here on YouTube or so with that link as well, because I think it's really interesting to understand. Because also, point one meter, not the the longest interval as well, right? So I'm trying to yeah. understand of. Uh, like the, the metrics, how, how uranium exploration works as well. So I really appreciate you shedding some light on that. And uh, I don't want to dive too, too deep down into that rabbit hole. That's, uh, I want to circle back to Accio now, uh, sort of the history of the project. You said the company only listed in 2020. And um, what, what is the history of the project? Like, are you the first operator on, on the claims? And, or not operator, but explorer on the claims? 
were the first explorer on the claim since the early 2000s, early to mid 2000s. But even then, no one, nobody had put a drill hole in there. From what we can tell, there's only been one drill hole on the project in its entirety since since people were exploring it back in the 60s and 70s. Most of the work was done in the 60s and 70s, a lot of boulder prospecting and airborne geophysical surveys, but nobody had really followed up. And I think one of the reasons behind that is that it doesn't have conductors, not the classical sense of graphitic conductors that people are searching for. For the longest time, and even today, it's you have to have a conductor on your project to be considered a viable exploration project. You know, we've seen things differently. We know that you don't always need a conductor. And I think this is really proving true at, at Accio. Uh, yes, and we do know that there is a conductor there now, but it's not controlling all of our mineralization. Um, how, how does uranium exploration differ from gold exploration, for example? You said you, you're also using geomag, uh, uh, max surveys and things as well. Is that very much different? Like what are your pathfinders and what really leads to uranium exploration success? There's a number of things. Uh, everyone has their own different uh, different tastes on how they like to explore. Uh, resistivity has been proven to be a great tool. Uh, gravity as well, magnetics. So uh, typical things that you do in gold settings as well. The best way to find uranium is to follow uranium. As far as pathfinder elements, they change from deposit to deposit. So stick with uranium. That's what you're chasing. Stick with uranium. Perfect. Okay. Um exploring now you're you're drilling right now 10,000 meters is the current campaign uh how, how is that progressing and how's the news flow out of the labs progressing quite uh, quite nicely we did have a little bit of hiccups in the first few weeks that after we did announce that we started drilling uh, we just started operations in the coldest weeks of february so you can expect a lot of issues when temperatures are below minus 40 things don't want to work water lines are freezing uh, people aren't happy so we had a couple of people quit but now everything's back up to speed. We're doing good. We pumped out about 2,200 meters. And since we announced the, the start of the drill program, completed seven drill holes, three of those have intersected uranium mineralization. The samples have been, off to, have been sent off to the lab. So these will be our first sample results that, that we've sent off. And we're expecting those probably within four to six weeks. It depends on what the lab backup situation is like. Hopefully it's not a bad situation since it's still early in the year. Uh, we can't comment obviously on, on the lab turnaround time in any, in any meaningful and, and, and truthful position. But this is a great start. We are going to keep rolling throughout the rest of the season. One of the things that we have changed though is that initially it's a 10,000 meter program. We were planning to take a break between May and maybe a little bit of June to and then start back up again for another 10 to 30,000 meter program. However, given the way that the, the market is and even supply chain issues and just trying to find competent drillers and drill companies, we figured that we're just gonna roll right through. We're fully funded, we're helicopter supported, so we don't have to worry about the spring fall or anything else like that. We're just gonna keep on rolling. There's gonna be no break. We'll reach 20,000 meters and make decisions at that point. And that will give us enough drill holes to really identify what we're seeing, where we go, other targets. And we've got a couple other projects we wanna to get to but lots of activity to keep on, just to keep on going. I was going to say, leave those drillers in the camp. Don't let them, don't let them leave. Don't ever let them exactly. leave. Yep. <laughs> nope. They're stuck there. They're chained shackles. <laughs> don't let them leave. No, that's uh, I've been hearing that left, right and center. Like I've, yeah. I've heard stories of people poaching drillers at, uh, at airports as well. So, okay, luring them in with $10,000 bonus, uh, signing checks. And stuff. That's... 
I wouldn't be surprised. Not in this market. This is crazy. This is like 2005, 2006 again. Um, on your drill program, so you're, you're drilling now, let's call it a 20,000 meter program because you decided to just plow on through, but how dependent are there, is your drilling on previous results and waiting to get those results and, or do you have enough targets so you can move the drill around while waiting for asset results? Plenty of targets. And that's the thing with, with dealing with uranium, with exploring for uranium, we get the radioactivity results. And because myself and my colleague, uh, Cameron McKay, who's our VP, we've got a lot of experience in the uranium industry. We know we have an internal knowledge of what these radioactivity measurements mean, and we can we can justify and make decisions based on that. So we get real-time, immediate results. I, I realize the market doesn't understand radioactivity results, but uh, they are very quite meaningful and do have a good correlation to U308. So we use that in planning each drill hole um, you know, real time. So we don't have to wait on assays or anything. This is why we can't roll through 20,000 meters. We've, we've recently identified, well, so I guess beginning of the year, we got an airborne survey, results from an airborne survey back. And recent interpretations of that have shown that there's a, a very good structural control that we never saw previously in other surveys. And this has now extended the, the Accio structural trend at least a kilometer to the southeast. So we've got a lot of legroom to play with now. Originally, we were only thinking it was about uh, about 500 to 750 meters, but it's a lot larger. And this, yeah, so we're going to keep pounding along. We're taking aggressive step outs, 50 meters, 100 meters step outs, and hitting mineralization as we keep making those. Oh, you could see it. my allergies are getting worse here today. I don't know. I, I think I live under a cedar tree or something. My my nose is oh, is, is about to kill me. But we, I wanted to follow up here because um, we got a question in on YouTube from Frank Martinello, and he's asking uh, sort of to, to elaborate, like, James, can you break down what the latest results mean? I think you sort of highlighted it like, and uh, what do they compare to? Is there any way to, to dumb it down so we can grasp the findings? Right. Like, I think really people are trying to understand what does it actually mean? Like, I've been struggling with it. What does 25,000 CPS mean? We talked about it for a second, but like really dumb it down. And is there something we can compare it to? That's where our news release plan for Wednesday is going to come out. That's myself and Cameron are going to do a very intuitive video because we realize that a lot of people who are in the uranium space don't understand. If you go back 2006 to 2010, 11, 12, Back when Fission's making discoveries, Hathor Exploration's making discoveries, Denison, uh, a lot of people, are, they would put out CPS results and the industry understood what those meant. So I think between the, the doldrums of after Fukushima, when people didn't give a damn about uranium exploration, that, and a lot of these new investors coming into the space don't understand it. So it's a re-education process that we're committing to, and that's what we will be doing on Wednesday. I can't really give too much um, too much guidance on what to expect not not in this interview as it is at 25,000 counts is huge like that is a significant level of radioactivity yes it's only on one 10 centimeter piece of core but it's within a broader intercept uh, about 11 meters plus or about 12 meters of an average grade uh, or an average level of radioactivity about 1500 cps if you go back to our initial discovery and where with hole one we had about 600 counts per second over 15 and a half meters using all the same metrics. So if we're seeing about two and a half times the levels of radioactivity, and yes, we had a 10 centimeter piece of core in that hole as well that had 10,000 CPS. So now we're seeing two and a half times the average radioactivity. We're seeing two and a half times the, the highest peak of radioactivity. You can start to assume that this is going to be a much higher grade um, great drill hole and, and results. So that's 
kind of the, the thinking that we have. Perfect. No, I appreciate the clarification there. I think it makes sense. Like, it seems like a lot of people are sort of struggling with understanding it. As I said before, like, I think everybody understands gold. 10 grams is 10 grams. There's yeah. not much variety in, in that. But uh, with uranium and also lithium, and I mentioned to you before, like battery metals, I think it gets more challenging because it's not something you see every day and you're trying to put some context around it. So I appreciate that, um, the, the yeah. clarification there. So James, what's next for the company you're drilling? Is it really just drill results coming out or any other news flow items we should be looking forward to? Drill, drill, drill. We're going to push Accio. So we did say 20,000 meters, but we are fully budgeted for 40,000 meters if we want to and if we need to. So that, that budget is there. And we do have two other projects that we already have permits in place for, and we will be drilling this year as well. And that's the, the rest of the hook project. So Accio itself is on the hook project. We didn't get to test the rest of our targets last year because we the Accio discovery, which we will be looking at about six to 10 targets to drill test this year on hook as well. A very similar style of geophysical anomalies that, that is over Accio as well. So hopefully we can make some discoveries on there. About 2,500 meters to 5,000 meters planned on that. Then we've also got our catharsis project, which is south of the, south of the Athabasca Basin. Very large project, currently flying an airborne survey that's uh, VTEM survey. So once we get those results back, we will couple them with the results that we have from last year as well. We'll be able to better define our drill targets there. Same type of idea though. We go in helicopter supported 2,500 meters to 5,000 meters. We're going to bump around. We're going to hit it hard. We're going to hit it fast. And then we'll see what we hit. Hopefully we're successful on that, on that project as well. Because what's better than one discovery, two discoveries. What's better than two, three. You just keep going on like that. So it's, uh, that, that that's actually, a word about that, that, that's a good point. I got to jump in here real quick because we got one more question from Frank in here on YouTube, and uh, he's sort of asking what 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 is the strategy, right? And you you just said well discovery after discovery after discovery, but uh, now the question is like what 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 is the next step? Like, do you plan to go into production, feed a local mill, sell the asset? Like, what what is sort of the business plan of baseload, and and what's the strategy? I think that's the question in the essence. One step at a time. So our initial our initial business strategy was make a discovery. We make a discovery, shareholder uh, share price will appreciate, and shareholders will benefit from all that. Now, the next step is get to an NI43101 resource. While we're doing that on Accio, you know, then we can make multiple discoveries. Because again, if, if we're a company with two or three brand new discoveries, I think we'll be valued at a much higher position than the rest of our peers. Once that resource is out, then that's when a lot of things really change because uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the bigger companies, even the mid-tier companies, would probably wait until a resource comes out, let the exploration company do all the all the grunt work, get to the resource, and make some moves after that, see if it's viable or not. But for us internally, we get to that resource stage, and then we go to the next step. We, we would start working immediately on a PA, a PEA, or and even environmental assessments, and just again trying to get it to the highest level possible. If we do end up moving it on our own. I don't see any reason why we wouldn't. It's it's definitely looking like it could be something that could move forward. Obviously, we don't know yet. We've got to drill a lot more, which that is one of the ideas is that we either move it on our own or somebody takes us out before that point. We'll wait and see, but we're going to keep doing what we can on our exploration side of things and just trying to make it as attractive as possible. Fair, fair enough. I really appreciate you answering that question. I think that uh, gives some clarity as well to see where, where the story is where the story's going. It's an exploration story. 
once the discovery is confirmed we'll see where it goes right uh fantastic and uh james thanks so much for your time i really appreciate it thanks for humoring us a bit of a uranium discourse as well some uh, uranium 101 there uh really appreciate it thanks for interpreting results for us and under like, giving us a bit better understanding of what all this actually means so really appreciate it thanks for coming on thank you very much kai what it all means in the end is that we're seeing better we're seeing better intercepts and the system is growing <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let, let's hope that keeps going. And uh, everybody else, thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure to follow us on YouTube, follow us on Twitter, of course. Hit the like and subscribe button and uh, leave a comment. We want to hear from you. What do you think of the company? What do you think of the strategy? And uh, let, let us know. And uh, if, you, if you're an investor in a uranium company or if you're even an investor in Baseload, hit that like button, smash it. Uh, that way the YouTube algorithm picks up on it and other investors get to see it as well. And that might help investment thesis. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back with a lot more live content later this week. Thanks so much.